You are the light in my dark world. You are the fire that will always burn. You are the light. You are the light. You are the light in my dark world. Oh, how you shine in my time of darkness. Oh, how you shine when everything seems hopeless. You know how to help me when I can't stand on my own. Oh, darling, please. You are the light in my dark world. You are the fire that will always burn. You are the light. You are the light. You are the light in my dark world. Oh, how you shine in my time of indecision. Oh, how you shine. Gonna give this man some vision. You know how to help me when I can't stand on my own. Oh, darling, please. You are the light in my dark world. You are the fire that will always burn. You are the light. You are the light. You are the light. My dark world. Stop dying, Mike. Chuck's hey, not here. Bob. Chuck's not here. He has a cold. He's not feeling well. And what kind uh, of thing is having a cold? Well, when you got kids, and you know this because you have a ton of them. You got to always say it's the flu, even when it is the cold. Um <laughs> <laughs> They get you sick. <laughs> when you know, I saw hey, that text today that he can't show up because he has a but, cold, I was like, what the fuck? Did you know that a lot of the like celebrities and stuff, uh, the reason they homeschool their kids is because of the flu and the flu season? No, they don't want the military-industrial complex, the institutional-educational-industrial <laughs> complex. We're, we're probably going to homeschool Sydney is what we're thinking. But think about it. November, December, January, all that flu season, they don't go to school and get that stuff and bring it home, and then you don't miss work from getting sick from your kids. Think about it. I don't it. know where you read that. On the Internet. No, I was watching an interview with some famous guy. I can't remember now, but he said that's what they do. And I was like, oh, that's what the famous people do. I don't know about that. I know plenty of famous people. Their kids go to regular school. But let me tell you something. I've been thinking about school. It's funny you bring this up. Okay. Elvis was one of the most fantastic spirits that I had ever encountered, right? Yes. In a, in a, very, in a very sweet, kind, full-of-life way. And it's still there. He he had he was he was doing his thing today, and it's still there. But you have to look closer, because school clamps it down and crushes it. And I don't care what any, if anybody disagrees. I, I I don't really care. I've watched it. There's something about the spirit of children that that you'd want to keep it alive as long as possible, I would think. Society and, the, and, the, and life itself is going to crush it down out of you. But that wonder and that excitement and that, that let's put on a show or that open for adventure that, that I see school crush out of children very quickly. In first and second grade, it gets crushed out of them. It's still, because they're so powerful life forces, it's still there and it spills out this way and that way. But 
but from from two to six, it was ever present present in him. How excited he was about life, how how undeniable his his curiosity was. And school is the only factor. They have them eight hours a day, five days a week. It has a profound effect on children. And I don't care. There's nothing that they learn from K through 12, in my opinion, that they can't learn on their own. So I'm, I'm a part of this unschooling philosophy, it's called. It started in England, and I don't have many allies. I've got two allies, <laughs> the guy that lives down the street here <laughs> and the guy that lives in Malibu. So the three of us are trying to figure out how do we get, uh, how do we get our kids together to unschool them? Right, because uh, it really is wow. something. I, I'm not a big fan of school. Um, well, I am, it taught me how to break the rules. <laughs> you know, it, it, did, it, did, it does teach you where the center is. It teaches is. you that you know what? There's rules that you really don't have to follow. You know? <laughs> well, not every kid's going to realize that Elvis is not you. Well, he thinks you're supposed to adhere to all these rules. Oh, really? Yeah, he's the rule enforcer. Do they figure out how to smash that unruliness or something? Because no, um, the kids nowadays. I mean, I'm at the school a lot, and and um, it's just strange. It's just it's we're living like in ninth in the book 1984. I really believe that. And you know, I got a, a email from somebody that said they um, watched Bob and the Monster and they thought I was so inspiring and, and so uh, positive and such a positive life force in that movie and they only knew me from the curmudgeon on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, and here's what the, a revelation. And I, thought, I thought about that. This nice woman wrote me this nice letter and I was just like, <laughs> I thought about that. I am a curmudgeon and I am a joy. See, that's the other thing about our society. You're supposed to be one thing. I'm like 19 things. I'm the, a, the big I'm a, chrome. The big chrome. Yeah, just tight. I'm a curmudgeon, and I'm full of energy can. and life and excitement and 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 uh, positiveness. But this podcast is about kind of a subject matter that that is really difficult, which is so many children dying in America and nobody doing anything about it. I mean, I've been talking about this for ten years. And I'm glad CNN and everybody caught up to it. And, uh, you know, but the fact is kids are still dying for no reason in America uh, from drug overdoses every day. And so, you know, part of it is how do we get it's fine now. You don't have to do it. OK, so how did we how how did we get a society of children that are uh, that are believing that drugs are safe that's one thing for sure kids believe that pills are safe who taught them that big pharma taught them that the medical uh, medical profession taught them that their parents taught them that the schools taught them that drugs are not safe every drug you get comes with a list if you if you read it that's about a foot and a half long of all side effects all negative things that could happen you know they say it on the television commercials could could cause diarrhea vomiting like sudden really, death really fast sudden death yeah they say it really fast at the end <laughs> could cause diarrhea sterilization <laughs> vomiting death if you but if you drugs are dangerous you motherfuckers you're so stupid you think heroin's the only dangerous drug oh my god america was primed to have this happen to it and it's so, still there the solution now is more drugs so 
Naloxone, more dangerous drugs, is the solution to the hundreds of thousands of people dying of drugs. <laughs> so it's it's hard not to be a curmudgeon on here. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were so inspiring in that movie, Bob. Yeah, that was so I don't know what happened to you. That was before the Sacklers ruined America. Well, I would say Kirdra. Kirdra had a lot to do with yeah, making she added you, it. Yeah, she edited it. She edited. She added, yeah, that's another thing. Part. Maybe the curmudgeonly part of me is edited it's out. All ended up on the editing room floor. Pete's, Pete's curmudgeoniness is in there, <laughs> but. You know, I just and, look like a drunken monster. But man. I really thought about it a lot, and I do think, no, you don't. You look like a good sober guy that's oh, like and, re- yeah, reminiscing. The, the yeah, you look like a good guy that's reminiscing. In the in but the, I mean, there's a couple like oh, in that yeah. record store. Oh, thing you look like a mess. Oh my god! What were you? How many drugs were you on in that scene? I don't know. Five was that or San six? Luis Obispo? No, that was here in Melrose. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I was on heroin, meth. Let's let's try to say an average day See, in 1989 for Mike Mark. has to be used right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all dangerous. Properly. Well, no, no. That you're you're, you're you're lumping them together. Illicit drugs and illicit and and legal drugs are two different categories. And the the legal drugs, OxyContin, Valium, Xanax, uh, are dangerous. They're as deadly as the illicit drugs. <laughs> Do you remember what a pharmacologist like? Like uh, Shelly DeCuna and uh, and Keith Levine. Were. Oh yeah, they knew everything about it. <laughs> Anytime you had a question about a drug or anything, you, you well, Matt died too. <laughs> Matt died and this girl Maria. So so when the oh, I never told the story when the. Uh, when the riots broke out, if people don't remember, a lot of people weren't even born in the riots, but when the riots broke out, the first day was kind of amazing. We all just kind of sat at Pete Weiss's house, like watching it from his balcony, the whole city on fire. It was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Right? Where were you that first uh, day? I got in a sailboat with my friend Mike Putney, and we sailed out of the fucking port of Los Angeles. You did? You missed it all? Well, we were like, hey, you know what? The city's on fire. Let's go sailing. Let's go. So we did sailed over to Catalina. Did you have dope? Yeah. And we sailed over to Catalina, and we just watched the city burn in the distance. Really? Yep. So was I was here. First day was like, oh, it's crazy. Oh, they're riding. About day three... The National Guard, I think, got called in, or day four. Um, a bunch of friends of mine started robbing the, the abandoned thrifty drugstores. They were thrifty drugstore then, before they were Rite Aid. And so you'd go in there. They'd go in there with those little carrying uh, cases that you shop with. Not the shopping carts, but the little carrying cases. Yep. And they just go into the pharmacy and just fill it up with anything that said drowsiness on it. And they <laughs> broke into all the safes. Oh, and they geez. got all these drugs. Then they were back at this girl girl's house with a PDR trying to figure out what drugs they Should have called Shelly DeCoon and Keith <laughs> Levine but if they, they had, had that connection. They had PDRs where you look at the pill and they were trying to and they were trying to figure out all these drugs and they had just hundreds of pill bottles on the ground and trying to figure out what these pills were. And then Matt, my friend, was just taking them to see what they did. You know, that, that would have been your job. That was the funnest part of actually, you know, taking the drugs and being irresponsible back then was just to test them. Test but, them out. What the hell But understand, there was a cautiousness about things that young Only people, that young people in the last 15 years that I've experienced don't even understand. They have, they have complete trust of the pill, of the pill producer 
of the effects of it, that it will be exactly the same every time. And what they don't understand is that when you mix medicines like Xanax and fentanyl, there is a, a byproduct effect that kills you. And the drug companies don't care, and the doctors don't care. I don't care that there's new rules, and Trump's done this, and Dr. Drew's over there. They they regularly prescribe to addicts Suboxone and Xanax, or Suboxone and Diazepam, which is a contraindicated deadly cocktail. I've seen doctor after doctor prescribe them on the same fucking pads to dead kids now. They're dead. It's the American Medical Association. It's big pharma. It's government. They are, they have caused this. Not us parents, not us, not us drug addicts, not us criminals, not us, whatever they want to label it, not the population that was profoundly destroyed by it in West Virginia and Ohio. It is the American Medical Association, the big pharmaceutical companies, and the government. And thank God the American legal system didn't take any of their money away. Yeah, thank God they're going to continue to be billionaires. Thank God they won't lose their their billions. Yeah, Yeah, that that was the newest ruling. So, and they knew that all along. Don't think that, you know... uh, Do you remember back in the day before the internet when you had to have that big fucking red book, man? That's what I'm talking about. That's the PDR. Oh, the PDR, right. I don't know what it stands for. Somebody smarter than me knows. But anyway, so I'm a curmudgeon because the subject matter demands curmudgeonness. (laughs) 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 I've, I've, I mean... It makes you grumpy. It makes it's not you, our fault. It makes you frustrated. So the first parent I had to call to tell them their kid was dead was uh. probably 2000, 99, 2000. OxyContin had been out for three years. It was OxyContin. I didn't know much about OxyContin. Um, and then it wasn't until 2003 when one of my good friends who was um, a heroin addict in the 80s in New York City, and I thought was 10 years sober, was all of a sudden in detox for OxyContin. And I was like, "What? tell me about this. What the fuck is this? What, what is how it? could you throw away your what sobriety for OxyContin? Thing? Right? Well, it's just a slippery slope. You go to a doctor, you're 45 years old. They don't tell you how dangerous it is. The same thing that it happened time and time again, 100,000, 500,000 times in America at these doctor's offices. And so what's funny is, so now we've gotten all the, all the kind of information out to the public and we've seen the devastation and death that it's caused. And guess who's going to solve the problem now, Mike? Big Pharma, government, and the medical profession. That's what they need their money for. They need that money to solve the problem that they created. That's amazing. (laughs) That's so American. That's more American than apple pie. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I just love it. So anyways, but I, I also see great triumph. I saw a kid get two months sobriety yesterday who I thought Yay. for sure was going to die. All right. And he's trying to help his friend get into treatment t- this evening. So treatment works, you know, eventually. When you is talk what I to said. an addict, when you talk to an addict, when they get sober and you tell them that, you know what, the big deal here is that you get sober and you help another person and they react to that and they start helping their other people get sober. That's where the magic really fucking happens. Well, you know? the connection is where the magic happens. So yeah. connection, I watch this, everybody, Did if I you get that? a chance, it, well, you put it in a 12-step context, okay. but connection 
But I just I was watching this documentary about prohibition on Netflix. Anybody, if you watch this, this will tell you how AA was created, how prohibition was created against drugs, initially against alcohol, then against drugs. It's the greatest kind of two-hour kind of explanation of this this space in America, addiction space. And it started in the 1840s, before the Civil War. There was a bunch of drunkards in Baltimore, six of them, at a bar. And they said... You know, they they had lost their families, they had lost their jobs, they were dirty and sleeping in the streets, and they kind of committed to each other not to drink. And in the bar, they declared they're not going to drink anymore. And they stuck together, and from the six of them, creates the Washingtonians, which was a movement that grew from those six guys to 500,000 people in America within 20 years. Really? I've never heard anything 100, about that. 100 years, you know, 70 years before the Oxford group, almost 100 years before AA. The Washingtonians? Washingtonians. They were, were in Bal- a Baltimore bar. It was amazing. Sounds so, like a singing group. Yeah, the Washington... Washington. Washington. So were they religious based like the Oxford no, group? No, that's the strange thing. So they started to get crucified because they didn't believe in God. The Washingtonian uh, movement. Let me read about read it to you. So was the 19th century temperance fellowship founded by six alcoholics, William Mitchell, David Haas, Charles Anderson, George Steer, Bill McCurdy, and Tom Campbell at Chase's Tavern on Liberty Street in Baltimore, Maryland. The idea was that by relying on each other, sharing their alcoholic experiences, and creating an atmosphere of conviviality, they could keep each other sober. Totally abstinence. Total abstinence was their goal. Thus comes the name teetotaler. Oh, my. So, so this was in 1840, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so there's a lot of, like, AA, like, aficionados who studied all this. And they, they're, like, we're probably, I'm probably in the dark about so they not had, knowing about so, this, but there's probably a lot of people that know about the Washingtonians. Right? The group, and talk about them. The group taught sobriety and was preceded and preceded Alcoholics Anonymous by almost a hundred years. Members sought out other drunkers. The term alcoholic had not been created. Told them their experiences with alcohol abuse and how the society had helped them to achieve sobriety. With the passage of time, the society became a prohibitionist organization in that it promoted the legal and mandatory prohibition of alcoholic beverages. So that's the mistake they made that got involved in politics. That's why AA will never be involved in politics. See, I thought I thought that Bill Wilson was the one that came up no. with that idea and and that the Oxford group would not deal with street street level alcohol. No, the they Oxford just, group they was wanted religious. to deal with people. Yeah, they wanted to deal with people that had money. No, the Oxford group was no, religious. True. Was religious. They wanted though. to deal with high level. This was nothing to do with God or religion. I know. So, do you think Bill Wilson knew about the Washingtonians? Um. Uh. Yeah, he had to have. He had Sil- to have. Silkworth would have known about it. Well, right. for sure, Schumacher, the guy who invented the Oxford group, would have known about it. 
He's only in, I don't know when the Oxford group starts, 1890 or something. And, and this might be going down a rabbit's hole for anybody, but, but there are no, friends in, the our, fr- our friends in Milwaukee or something. But um, <laughs> the Oxford group started, I think, in 1890. You're Let always avoiding the rabbit hole, Bob. Why? I, want, I, I don't know, because I like going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> so the Oxford group started in uh, 19... Uh, no, it couldn't have been 1931. That's AA got started in 19... 19- 35. 35. So wait. The Oxford group, 1908. Um, he had a conversion in 1908, but it was, it was Sam Schumacher. The, oh no, Frank Bach, Buckman, who was a minister. And hmm. he started the Oxford group. And then Schumacher was the guy who really brought it home. Um, yeah, I guess AA and Oxford group were competitors for a while. Well, they were. I'm, I'm telling you, Bob, that the Oxford group only wanted, did not want to deal with street-level alcoholics that did not have any money. Well, if you did not have any money, the Oxford group really didn't want to have any. But they to do also with you. were a Christian Methodist organization, it says here. So they had absolute moral standards belonging to, by holiness, even though the formula used by Buckman was formulated by American Presbyterian. Anyways, so you can go into the history. But the main thing, it, whether it's the Oxford group, the Washingtonians... It, the the NA when it was founded in the 1950s in Los Angeles, AA in 1936 and 35 in Ohio and New York, it's connection and sharing and talking. Well, guess what? I think that's what the whole country needs, not just alcoholics. Oh, we don't talk, we don't interact, we don't listen to each other. That's why we have the sick society we have. We don't. There, there's a way that I was taught by Gloria Scott, a great AA, to not cause uh, a disagreement is to say, well, I see what you're saying. I understand. Well, I, that, that, that makes sense to me. It doesn't mean that I am going to adopt that belief system. AA has become too obsessed with people immediately adopting their belief system. Let people learn about it. Let people experience it. Let let people be, feel connected. But as soon as you get into this, you have to believe this within the first week or two or three that you meet somebody who's, who's in a bad way. You, you, you really do damage, I think. And, uh, you know, the idea of just one alcoholic helping another, AA didn't invent that. Obviously, these guys did in 1840. Um, and that's still the most powerful thing. And what's interesting, I do, I do it every day. I just talk the truth. I say, a, a kid, somebody called to get a kid into aloe. I said, well, I don't know if he's going to be able to get in. I, you know, I don't know. We got to check the insurance or whatever. But I guarantee you, me and Bob Helen will find the right place for him, right? Bob Helen's the head of intake at aloe. And I talked with the mom for like, I don't know, 30 minutes or whatever, she then told her friend, that's a mutual friend, that it was so helpful to her. And she gained so much insight in a 30-minute conversation about what her son was going through, what was going on, what she was doing right and wrong. Um, that's, that's why people feel so positive about the, this, the, whether it's called the Washingtonians or AA or Oxford Group or, or the kind of helping that rehabs do it's honesty and truth and helpfulness and kindness and compassion and understanding and and 
And it's so lacking in our society in every part, at my son's school, at, at our local government. Uh, you know, it's, it's lacking, this kind of understanding and helpfulness towards one another. I mean, it's really... I had a shocking moment tonight. I, I was getting gas, and I was in a rush to meet somebody, and I laid $20, and I said, 20 on number four. And she, the girl at the cash register said, okay, you know, she acknowledged, okay, and she understood, and I saw that she was putting it in number four, and I said number four again. I started to walk out, and she said something, and I didn't hear it. And I turned around, and I said, excuse me, uh, you know, uh, What? And the guy who was standing in line waiting said, she told you to have a nice day. And that was so shocking. And I could see that he thought, what an asshole you are, you know, of me. But we don't say have a nice day. We're not used to it anymore. Everybody's just so right. mechanical. And, and I just was like, oh, my God, have a nice day, too, you too. And, and I looked at him, it's a big, tall guy, and I said, I said, it's a weird world, isn't it? And he just looked at me, and that let his anger towards me not <laughs> knowing what she said. I said, huh. it's a weird world, isn't it? Yes. Right? I'm, but that kind of thing, have a nice day, or how are you doing, or, or how are your kids, or what's going on? We, we kind of, it seems like to me as a society, we only will do that under special circumstances. We don't do it in everyday living anymore, Right? And I think we need to reach out to our neighbors and reach out to our postman. Like, I like that I know my mailman. He's a cool guy. He's like, a, I asked him, what kind of music do you like? And he was he'd never been asked that question. He goes, oh, I like metal. And I go, oh, me too. The Neil Purchase died the other day. Did you know that, Mike? You're not a Rush guy, are you? I'm not a Rush guy, but I did know that some guy named Neil Pert died. <laughs> and uh, I think Do you know a that drummer. a lot of us weeped a tear? Well, I got a little choked up. I knew he was sick, but I just and I started. Uh, and you know what? I've heard that he was an awesome dude. You know what I mean? So he was helpful and kind. Dimitri, and kind. Yes. Dimitri posted a thing when Dimitri was and like Dimitri, thirteen years old. Right, yeah. He sent a he sent a letter of how much he loved Rush to him, and the guy wrote a whole letter back to him. Yes. How kind is that? That is cool, man. So Neil Pert passed away, and then so here's one thing we know. <laughs> I don't think Rush is ever going to play again, right? Well, no, I wouldn't. There's think no so. way they could play. He wrote the songs, Mike. Did you know that? I did not. I don't know anything about. He's the songwriter, the drummer, Lee, and he sings really high. And they do that Thomas song. Yeah, Tom Sawyer. Tom, yeah, Tom Sawyer. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Mike, Mike, there, should we educate you in the ways of Rush no, right now? I could give. No, I can't care less. Really, I loved know. Rush. I loved them. I saw them like yeah. ten times. Me and uh, I'll I've, listen to it when it comes on the radio. I'll go, I'll listen to that Thomas song. Tom Sawyer. <laughs> Tom Sawyer song. Oh, there's so many great songs. Neener, 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 You know, what the? Come on. <laughs> it's not really your forte. It's not my cup of tea. I'm sorry. But you do like Deep Purple, right? I love Deep Purple. I don't know why the difference, I don't know what the what difference is. is. I'm not sure. Because Deep Purple was. Because there was not so much progression going on. You know what I mean? Well, like, John Lord, that keyboard player got way out there on a limb like if, sometimes. If, if I'm going to go progression i'm gonna go fucking all the way like igor Noy, Noy, or, or um hawkwind <laughs> no, there's this new thing igor with two r's oh no. my god it's amazing dude it's like 
accordions and drum machines and drum machines and opera and electronica and everything just smashed into everything and it was just they're from la uh i think they're no they're from i just discovered them uh on igor yeah you gotta check them i got amazon for all you at home amazon music by far is the best app do you have one of the music yes, apps? Yes, I do. I have Amazon, Amazon Music. Igor, E-G-O-R-R? I-G-O-R-R. I-G-O-I-G-O-R. I'm not sure if I... I'm not even like... I just discovered it. Yeah, Igor. Here it is. I'm like totally not... Savage Sunasold. Let's get a good one going here. Yes! What is that? That's like Tool. That's not Rush. No, here, let me sh- let me play you a different one. Let me play you a different one. Oh, Wait, I know what me, that no, no, is. No, let me play That's you. not on. Rush, Mike. Here, let me fucking play you something, man. <laughs> now that you talk while I find this. Man. No, I'm going to play my favorite man. Rush song right now. Oh. I'm gonna play my favorite Rush song, Damn and uh, well, everybody. I'm gonna up you with Igor. Here, Rush Grace hits. Um, wait, let me see something. Here. It's three R's. Oh my goodness! Here, this Igor. one. Igor, check this out. You got to check this out. Oh, it's the fucking ad. You kidding me? Oh yeah, here it is. You want to hear Rush? No, 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 no. Let's hear proper Igor. Listen to this shit. <laughs> it sounds like Go Go Bordello. Wait, check it out. Hold on, it's coming to the good part. <laughs> fucking drummer, man. That guy's amazing. Look at, are you watching the video? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's got one on his head. <laughs> All right, well, it's, it's not this. Oh, how great is that, though, dude? Come on, you got It's like phone wars. Oh, God, I love Rush so much. Dude, you only like Rush because Neil Burt died. No, I listen to him no, still. Come on. Yeah, I never no. talked about Rush before. I always whole talk about Rush. I talk about time Rush. I've all known the, you a I, little bit, maybe. Rush people only talk amongst ourselves. I'm just being honest. I wasn't, you know. I mean, I, I like them, sure. Anyways, I uh, it was sad. I got I got a little choked up. Some rock stars die, and I get people choked gotta up. People gotta die, man. Other other Me ones are gonna die. Other so. ones. Well, I think about that all the time. Not you dying, <laughs> me dying. <laughs> you dying, right? Yeah. I think about it every day. Like, yeah. uh, you know, and sometimes thing people can't walk around and be nice all the time. Well, but you can be you can be not angry, like tailgating people. I didn't want to interrupt you or anything because you were on such a good like you can positive be, you can train. Be, you can be you can be respectful. I, I see a lot of disrespect. Yeah, but a lot of people don't deserve that respect. Like they're just like you know they're entitled. They walks you know they they no, walk in front of you and they there's don't a, slow. There's a, you, know, you got to flip them off. So get the fuck out of the street, you you know. No, but I'm talking about, for instance, I I keep. I it somehow I've become like a Trump defender in the last three months. Oh, I don't know how. God, here we go. I don't know how. And then people say that, and it's happened to me fifty times including Elvis, they'll look me right in the eye and go, you're not for Trump, are you? 
And I go, no, but all I'm trying to point out is how the hysteria around anything he does is the worst thing ever. It's the hysteria that drives me nuts, It's too. crazy. I was just going over that with somebody else there. Bush this, this, is, the, but can I just say this? George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and the Bush regime are responsible for two and a half million Iraqis being dead. <laughs> That's all uh, you got to say. How many people are, is, is Trump responsible for killing? See, now it's my I belief. just go by that. that Commander-in-chief runs the military. Okay, you so, kill two and a half million innocent civilians, bah, you're a good guy. Okay, so I'd like my, to have a beer with you. Okay, so here's Trump mine. kills one guy or three guys, and he's the worst <laughs> criminal, war criminal that ever lived. All right, I kind of agree with you there. The hysteria is out of control. Okay, like he's not going to get impeached. Senate's going to Senate's going to uh, knock it down. And here's gonna, the deal: he's going to get stronger. He deserves to be impeached, but yeah, he's not going to be they impeached. Didn't, they didn't give him enough rope to hang himself. It's a political process. It's not a court. Yeah. So, so but I but don't want to. No, 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 no. Don't, don't. Let's let's not go down a political rant. Can I just say something about Bush, Junior? That's what I, I was talking him, about. <laughs> I found him incredibly entertaining, and I don't think he really had anything to do with any of the decision making. I think it was all Cheney and his dad, George Senior. Well, that's what the everybody country. likes to think, but somebody yeah, has to. On, yeah. Somebody has. And George, to. in the meantime, was posing with chickens and you know babies and making funny faces and doing funny shit. Well, I think George let Jr. Me quote, was actually funny. Do you know how smart Bill Clinton is? He's above 200 IQ. Here's what he said about Bush to an acquaintance of ours. He loves that everybody thinks he's a good old boy. He went to Yale. He has oh. a he has a degree from a law degree from Yale. You don't get a law degree from Yale being a good old dumb guy that likes drinking beer and Texas outlaw. You do if you pay for his, it. That's his image. If you're paying for that's it, that's his image, and he obviously sold it to well to you. That he's right. just this dumb guy who Dick Cheney runs everything. No, it's not true. The the idea, I you know, I just just the facts. Okay. I, and so I've become this accused. I get accused all the time of being a Trumper or whatever. I'm just saying, like two and a half million people, three guys, right? It's not it's not a moral equivalent. That's all I'm saying. And somehow I'm now lumped in as a Trumper, which is fine with me. That's what you want to paint me as. I, I did not vote for the man and would not vote for him again. Right. right. And, yeah. So, anyway, so It's out of control. It is, it is crazy. And I, I just think, like, it just this was a fantasy I had the other day, and I was telling Chrissy about it. What if they never found where bin Laden was? And, and, and... Obama didn't pull the trigger, and they weren't sitting there in the panic room oh, watching he'd really the video. Be the worst president and if Trump in the killed world. Bin Laden, would, would he get credit for <laughs> oh it? My God. I don't think he would. Yeah, I think he'd be like, know. "Oh, now this is going to stir up uh, ISIS." There would be like this hysteria. There's this weird hysteria about him. He's repulsive. He's narcissistic. He's unqualified. He's he's like a he runs the presidency like a criminal mob. And but in fact, when it comes to foreign policy, he hasn't done much. And there's young people, Bob, that are way younger than us that have not seen the, this hysteria before. Right? They have only seen. I don't. This I don't recall seeing this hysteria. Oh before. come on, Reagan was a was a hysteria. That nah, was in the punk rock that world. Was that crazy, was crazy, dude. Come on. <laughs> That, that wasn't Reagan won with sixty two percent of the population. Dude, his wife was like an astrologist star lady. It star, doesn't matter. Whatever. You, now, was the punk rock world and the enlightened world? But upset that, with those him? were crazy times. We all thought that we were going to die. That's why 
punk rock was well, writing I think about, gonna, you know. I think I'm going to die. Every, I think uh, I'm going to die all the waiting, time. Yeah, not, but, you know. No, but obviously Reagan's uh, re-election numbers and Reagan uh, 1984 uh, campaign, yeah, uh, he was out of control. He had, let's see, just exactly, oh my God, he went one in a landslide. And that's what's going to happen again. Because the Democrats look so, he's making the Democrats tr- look so Okay, okay. Dude. So here, here's the thing. In and that time, just stop for one second and listen. Yes, sir. In that time, when we all hated Reagan, he had a fifty-three percent approval rating. Okay. Trump is at forty-one at the best. Yeah. There are more people who hate Donald Trump than ever hated the, Ronald Reagan. The internet wasn't as big <laughs> back then, Bob. <laughs> well, he, he won, <laughs> listen to this, he won of the Electoral College in the 84 election. <laughs> are you ready for this? He <laughs> yeah. won 525 Electoral College votes. Walter Mondale won 13. <laughs> Are you telling me that Ronald that was Reagan? The <laughs> yes. <I'm> t- <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the power now, of the we, fucking internet. Here, Mike, here's the deal. Jello Biafra hated him. You hated him. Keith hated him. I hated him. But there wasn't a lot. There of wasn't us. the internet. There wasn't any, but there was just standing on a corner where the only thing you had. <laughs> had back then was a fucking microphone and 50 punk rockers or maybe 200 punk rockers he won 500 electoral (laughs) votes that's like gotta be unheard of you know that's called a grassroots movement wait a minute wait a minute do you realize it's even better he won 49 of the 50 states In 1984, <laughs> he was the most—he was more popular than Kennedy. Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> but in Mike Mark's mind, America hated him just hey, as much as hated him, man. <laughs> well, no, we hated him. But I'm telling you, that, <laughs> so did anybody ever equate that the, that the punk rock was a grassroots movement? I think the crass was the only one that fucking they they were the only group that knew. They had the commune, they had everything. They're like, we well, are a grassroots well, movement. Here's what if you want to know the history of punk rock, I can get it down to you. Oh. Who was the most popular punk rock band in history? I would universe internationally popular. I I would say the Clash. You might say the Sex Pistols, right? Uh, yeah, I would have when to you say go it. back and look at the Clash London Calling, it only sold 1.1 million records out of six billion people on the planet. Well, the, yeah, the most popular punk rock band in history, right? I wonder how many Sex Pistol albums. Were well, sold. now, now you can't go by the numbers now, you just go by the numbers then. I remember that when Steve Jones first moved to LA. It had gone gold. So that means that, never mind the Bullocks had sold 500,000 copies. It, it, it changed the world, for sure. But there wasn't as many punk rockers as we were led to believe, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Sex and the Horses album sold 50,000 copies. I know. Ten, ten, only, you sold 10% of the Sex Pistols. I know. That's crazy. For a punk rock band, with no, you know what I mean? That was, that was actually good. Yeah, my, that, that was a popular was record. Good. The first one, right? That was a popular record. Well, I don't know which one, but I can't remember. But yeah, they told me that it sold 50,000 copies. Are you kidding me? 
the Spider and the Fly record. Is that the first one? I don't know. You don't even know what songs are on your record. It was the first one with the horse heads and the <laughs> Mark, the Mark Rude. Whether it's Ronald Reagan or oh, come on, Mike Mart, we have to look it up to find out what album was that song on. Texting the horse heads. Clean the dirt. Is that what you're talking about? Clean the dirt. Is it, it was the, on the first album. The the one where you make the country western video. I don't. That was on. That was the first album. Yeah, it was just called Texas yeah. and the Horses. That's the one a, that sold was fifty thousand. It was right? an EP. Yes, that sold fifty thousand. That's yeah. amazing. Albums. How many albums did you have? Three. Three. The the. Oh, John Doe produced one. Yes, I didn't know that. He produced Life So Cool. So you do know the records. Let's give Mike Mart a text in the horse heads. What are your associated bands? Uh, this is, hey, whoever did this Wikipedia page knows. Number one, Gun Club, Flesh Eaters. What's the connection between text in the horse heads and Flesh Eaters? Nothing. We rehearsed at Holly Gully. What are you talking about? <laughs> Thelonious Monster. Um, how is Jane's Addiction associated I don't with you? No, they're not associated with us. How could that be? Oh, you were in a movie called Border Radio. I didn't know that. Uh, okay. Were you in a movie? I might have been. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know. I don't. You know, I just watched Bob and the Monster, and I go, I told him, I was like, wow, I'm in that movie a lot. <laughs> Yeah, you are. I thought I didn't have anything in that movie hardly whatsoever. And then I watched it because we watched it at the premiere, but I was How can you be in a movie and not know? I don't know. So it's called Border Radio 1987. Oh, Tex was in that. I wasn't in that. Oh, you weren't in that? No, Tex was in that. You were in a pseudo documentary called Dubitio. Dubitio. And then we were also in. um, You got a lot of Boys Next Door? Boys Next Door. I had a song in that. Yep. Did you make During money the murder that? scene? You spent all that Paul? money. You spent all that money on heroin, didn't you? Remember Paul the What was the check for a guy. movie song? Well, lot reg- licensing back then was what you got. You got like, you know. Dude, it's Charlie Sheen. Yes. You were in a Charlie Sheen movie. Yes, I was. But you must have known that you got a good check for that yeah, of the songs in the movie. Yeah, I was seven thousand or something you got seven thousand dollars in 1985 Licensing, yeah that's like fifty thousand dollars yeah that's what'd you I do made. with it i paid everybody back what did you do when you got money <laughs> i spent it on drugs okay. okay so and then let's just go i'm gonna ask you some more questions about texting the horse heads oh, Jesus. um okay so you made an album live in holland we did what what is on the cut co- what's the cover of that look like it's text drinking a whiskey bottle. It's called Tot Zins. Tot Zins, yeah. Oh, we got to get that record. How do you get that record? Uh, I got one. I've you never even seen that. Yeah, it's live. It's good. Apparently, the group broke up having drug and alcohol dependency problems. Did they say that? Yes, right here. In the- How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> Financial difficulties also. Do Maybe drug- small. Do- wait a minute. Not me. Do drug and alcohol dependency problems cause financial difficulties? That's... Yeah. That's interrelated there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were also trying to... Were you? Do you remember you consciously... Reading? I'm reading your Wikipedia page. Do you remember consciously trying to distance yourself from death rock? I never had anything to do with death rock. <laughs> well, apparently, Tex and the Horseheads were lumped in with 45 Grave, Christian Death. Because we all played the same clubs. 
you know i mean come on really we all played like the music machine we all played all that that whole circuit and stuff. this is a great compliment and do you do you know that you're among the first bands uh to to play what would become known as cowpunk oh god Dude, you you should be proud of this band. It was amazing. It when was I, good. That I, first I like album, it. and when you guys played, it was scary. It was, you know, how many bands can you say nowadays? You go see that band, that's scary. Tex was scary. You were scary. It was a scary thing to watch. It was. It was scarier being on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Because there was a lot of broken bottles all the time, and you know, like I, re I remember that. I remember this one guy jumped on stage at the music machine and did this like he was going to upstage us. He did this backflip on right, stage right or on in the stage, audience. and he fell down and he came up and he and he held his arm up and he had this five six inch open gash on his arm, blood everywhere. That he that he cut himself on some broken glass on the stage and he just ran off. Oh holding his arm <laughs> oh my god so it was if if, if those of you the, the don't die army here if you don't know about tex and the horseheads you need don't to die go army yeah the don't die army is what i'm saying because there's dopey Rad, there's dude, dopey nation there's don't die we army need a fucking army we're an army and so if you don't you should know the players mike mart was this craziest most dangerous sexiest coolest guitar player that existed on earth in 1980 and you got to hear the record text and the horseheads what's the first album called Text and the horseheads okay it's the greatest actually we were on we were on hell comes to your house too what song was on that there? Was a, a label cover. from long beach called enigma ain't that peculiar's on there uh no they do a cover of marvin gaye's ain't that peculiar it's amazing Jeffrey arranged that. Jeffrey Lee Pierce arranged that. Oh, you can buy T-shirts. I can buy Texan Horses T-shirts. Really? That. Who's yeah. selling our T-shirts? Oh, a lot of people. No www.worthpoint.com. Look no. at that. No way. Yes, I can buy a T-shirt right now, dude. You you don't know anything about the internet. Look at that. You can buy that T-shirt right now for how Sell much? It. Uh, Jesus. Let's. You got to go all the way through to find out how much it is. What size do you want? <laughs> I'll buy one of these. Oh, my God. Pricing and history. Start free trial. I don't even know what this means. So let's see the other one. Yeah, you can. It Look must it. be out of print. No, it says product right here. Texan, oh, look at this one on eBay. Oh, I think they're oh the ones that God. pirate. I think they're the ones that pirate the shit. Even DJ Bonebreak was like on the Whoa, internet. Don't look, buy anything from these people. Seven dollars. I want. I'm. Oh, it's sold. That. I want that shirt. Where is that shirt? That's badass. Uh, that's somebody's custom shirt. I don't no, know what was that, that from the original days? Oh no, that may, maybe Tex put that out or something. That's great. Yeah, that's not from the original days. It's not. No. Oh, then I don't want it. But it looks cool. Yeah, text Anyways, probably, text so probably tech, that. Check out, check out Tex and the Horseheads. And, uh, and then Mike and I were in a band called Thelonious Monster. You probably know about that. And, um, you know, 
our whole lives revolved around music still does kind of to a certain extent not the way that it did we're making a record now we're in a arguing kind of a more miserable the, in, it's in more, more miserable, miserable way. way now <laughs> well well here's the thing everybody's sober and it's still miserable so this is the myth that it was drugs and alcohol that made everything miserable that's another lie you can pile up on the lies yeah, the about drugs, drugs and alcohol only made the miserableness tolerable yeah maybe it was better <laughs> like like we wouldn't i wouldn't even consider going in the studio or playing unless i was hot right because you could deal with all the nonsense yeah right it was half fun yeah. and we just before this podcast we just did vocals on a fun song for the album so look for that in the springtime somehow if we all don't get kill each other and then <laughs> uh you know i do want to build this don't die army because i i you know yeah the death rate's gone down but it can come back up with a vengeance because we still haven't gotten the message out that drugs are dangerous. They're not to be mixed. The medical profession knows nothing about drugs. Ignore them. They're fucking, they should stay away for 150 years. And when you go back and look at the history from the Washingtonians to Oxford group to AA through to the fifties and mental health and forties and, and heroin addiction in the jazz community, the, um, the American Medical Association wanted nothing to do with addicts and alcoholics. They stayed away. It's legendary. There's stories in the AA Big Book about how Dr. Silkworth would try to get his other doctors at his hospital to be take interest in his patients, and they said, no, we don't want to deal with them. They're criminals. They break your heart. They never get better, was the medical opinion about alcoholism and drug addiction. All of a sudden... Now they want to be involved in it and dictate the care and dictate everything. It's connection that heals. It's community that makes things turn around. It's not a pill. It's not Suboxone. It's, that might be a bridge to community, to connection, but it's not the solution. And they're selling it as a solution. The medical profession doesn't have a solution to, to, to addiction or alcoholism. They never have. They never will. That's the truth. And so we need to build an army that starts saying, listen, we'll deal with it. You, you doctors stay to the side. We'll deal with it. The sober community of two and a half million Americans will deal with it. We will deal with it digitally. We will deal with it in podcasts. We will deal with it in our 12-step rooms. We'll deal with it with the new version of 12-step rooms. We will deal with it. One alcoholic helping another. That's what heals. That's what changes people's lives. That's what works. That's what's worked for 150, 160 years according to my research about it. 160 years, alcoholics have joined in fellowship together and just encouraged and supported and shared with each other. And that healed people in 1840. It healed them in 1908. It healed them in 1935. It healed them in 1970 and 1968 in the Synanon. It healed them in the 1980s at the Betty Ford Center, and it will heal them again. Not pills. Don't trust anybody who's not a former alcoholic or or a, or a recovering addict or anything that because i don't know only you have doing, to say don't trust don't I'm trust saying your, what i'm works. saying don't trust pharmaceutical companies who are just out to get your money and doctors who are actually selling you drugs that you have to pick up you know you pharmacy. get a lot of you get a lot of shit saying drug companies only care about money i just give the example of there are some rare diseases one of which lenin the child that we've been helping for the last couple of years on you know uh, that lives in santa barbara 
I don't know if have you been following that, Mike. No. There's a kid named Lennon. She has this rare disease. Drug companies aren't interested in solving that problem because only about 10,000 people have it. Oh, right? Oh, wow, man. So if profit isn't the motivation of big pharmaceutical, why are they not investing money in, in diseases that only 10,000 people a year have or 40,000 people a year have? It's only when millions of people have the problem do they want to find the solution pharmacologically. That is a fact about for-profit healthcare. And they're not fixing the small leaks in the boat. They're fixing the giant leaks in the boat. The whole Well, but it's ironic that they their industry... Now, they can point fingers at, at uh, 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 Purdue, but Johnson Johnson had a lot to do with it. A lot of big pharmacy companies have contributed to this, and they've paid their debt to the city of state of Oklahoma and this one and that one. But the fact is, they caused the problem. The access to opioids freely and, and just like a pipeline just pumping out into America for 15 years that caused all this death and destruction, they're now the same very people that are going to solve the problem. Oh That's why Don't Die Ain't Over. And we're, we're going to build an army and we're going to fucking share with each other. And maybe I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. I'd like your feedback. I'd like your passion, your interest. I want to know how are we going to solve this? Because there are hundreds of thousands and millions of people in this country addicted to benzodiazepine, addicted to Suboxone, still addicted to opioids, addicted to alcohol, addicted to methamphetamine, the little known demon of homelessness in america that's what's causing a lot of the homelessness is mental health and meth right yeah, okay. and so yep. the problem ain't over we dealt with one little sliver of the problem which is the death rate skyrocketing year after year we got that under control we did it the addicts in america did it the moms who lost their children did it not big pharma not the government not the fucking medical profession we did it and we can solve some of these other problems, too, together. I believe that. I, I totally believe that. If the grieving mothers hadn't come out and screamed and yelled for 10 years, you think Purdue would have given a fuck? You think the government would have given a fuck? No. The reason why it's in the courts and Purdue is being held accountable is because of all those brave moms and dads who said, my child died for no fucking reason. Yeah, man. And we're going to do it again because I'm telling you, MAT is not the solution to this problem. Love is, compassion is, community is, forgiveness is. Those things that can't be put into a pill. So we're all, we all, all hands on deck. That's what I say. What do you say, Mike? I say trust another alcoholic, another drug addict. That's because they're not getting paid to, you know, to do anything, man. They're just they're there to help you. You know, it was like when we were talking earlier when you're you said you're that kid was helping another kid. You know, it's a good feeling. It's like what you get sober for. It's how you deal with your own addiction and how you stay sober. Is the concept is is that you discuss your problem and your addiction with another alcohol with another addict. And try so, to help. Uh, it doesn't mean help. it doesn't mean you got to sit around and help them get off drugs. You can help them just by listening. You can help by just helping somebody move. By and listen to Igor you know, and listen and to listen Igor, Igor and Rush. And Rush. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. All right, bye bye. That is not prog rock. <laughs> that's like that's like heavy metal go go bordello. 
Okay, then you coined a phrase. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Hey, this is Bob and the Don't Die Podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Aloe Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live. But first and foremost, don't die. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.